once I saw that I had people on board that knew what the heck they were doing, that were really smart and really dedicated, and they could do their job far better than I could, I said, well, do I want to get in the way and trip them up, or do I want to step back and be supportive? Hey everyone, welcome back to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. My guest today, Scott Heater, is the third generation owner of his family print business. In this interview, we get into how he has grown and specialized the firm, the different industries that they focus on, and the lessons that he has had to learn to build a printing business that has survived in the age of digital. This is a really interesting conversation. I learned a lot about the print business, about family businesses, and about focusing on the elements of your business that matter. I'm sure you're going to take a lot away. Here is Scott Heater. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. So Scott, thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to be talking with you. Thank you for having me. So I want to start off just to provide some context for people. Heater, the company, been around. Am I saying that correctly? Well, it's Heater. It used to be uh, originally Heater Lithographing. Uh, Started in 1947 by my grandfather and then... um, Probably early mid mid to late seventies, changed it to heater printing, and then we dropped the the printing. We went to heater direct for a period of time, and now we're just 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 heater at this point. Got it. So we just took a tour th- through the facilities, and if people are watching the interview on YouTube, they'll be able to kind of see that yeah. uh, scale of one of the uh, production facilities that you guys have built over the course of your history here. But now you've w- w- kind of talked a little bit through the name evolutions. Can you just kind of plant a flag at this present point in time for the scale of the company and some of the core services that are driving the print business here in 2022? Um. I don't know if I could, you know, plant a flag per se. There's probably a number of different flags that, that we would have, that we would plant. Um, when I never, I didn't know my grandfather well, <clears throat> um, and, and didn't know him when he ran the company, but he was, uh, one of the first earlier adopters of lithographic, lith- lithographic printing, which was new technology, you know, 50 some years ago, but it's very common, common today. Um, then my dad took it over in 19 or you know early 70s um and you know continued to 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 build the the company based on you know customer service quality turnaround um and then fast forward you know 20 some years later 20 maybe 30 years later we're in the I'm in the business and there's a digital printing and, and customization came along. And we weren't necessarily an early adopter, but when we adopted the, the, the digital print and the variable data and the customization, we got into it in, in a big way. And that probably happened 20, 25 years ago. And that, I think, kind of led to, to where we are today and allowed us to make some different choices than our competitors, and, and allowed us to position ourselves to where we are today. And so can you talk a little bit about that positioning specifically? Sure. Because if you know someone wants to go buy a printer, they can't necessarily replicate the scale of what you've built Correct. And, and, and scale that up. So can, where, where's the kind of counter positioning? So um, our, 
historically, we would print, um, you know, thousands and thousands of the same of the same item. So if you came to us, uh, we could print, you know, 50, 100,000 brochures, and they were all the same. And when you're playing in that space, it's about quality, speed, uh, pricing, and, and it's kind of a more of a commoditized business. Today, we're doing those same types of high-volume jobs, but every piece that's coming off is completely different and completely personalized. And that's one of the big differentiators. That's where our digital print group comes into, comes into play. And so would that be like a unique QR code or different text, or what so would that be? So it would be uh, unique QR codes. It would be uh, personalized, and not just uh, you know name and address, but if you're a casino, you would come to us because we would take your, your player data, which is very valuable to you, and we would make sure that we're getting that in a proper format onto a direct mail piece and into your customers' hands before, you know, before the, the, the event date. So would that be a subtlety, maybe like, hey, I know this person plays blackjack and this person plays craps, and so yep. the even iconography of what this event's going to be like is going to be tailored to the a, demands. A, a, exactly, exactly. And even, you know, more so, uh, what, what, what type of a player are you? Or do you come in and do you just spend, you know, 30, 40, you know, $50, or do you come in and spend thousands of dollars? And so the offer to get you in versus somebody else is right. going to be significantly different. And so the pieces that are going out, they have, you know, they have monetary value to them. And sometimes it's thousands of dollars. So they need to find a partner that they can trust that is going to, one, make sure that the person getting a $1,000 offer isn't getting a $10 offer. The person getting a $10 offer isn't getting a $1,000 offer. Right. Very high risk. In, in that in that space, if you mess it up, but we've put in the quality control procedures, the equipment, we've got the people trained, we have the rapport with the customers where we've mitigated that that risk. Got it. Same thing like on the health insurance side of things. We have um, high trust certification, which is a very high level of IT security. Uh, certification for, for the business. And every year we go through an intensive audit to make sure the firewalls are there, um, the processes, uh, protocols are in place, the equipment is updated, the software. It's, it's a very expensive process, but insurance companies, uh, healthcare companies, banks, they want to know when they're entrusting somebody with that data that there's the chances of there being a breach are mitigated. We can't say there would never be a breach, but with the processes that we have in place, the chances are, are diminished. Yeah, when I was looking at the website and I saw that the, the first industries that you listed were insurance, pharma, and then gaming, which is casinos, yeah. those all struck me as the types of industries or types of clients that you would serve that have this high bar for precision and quality yeah. and are also willing to pay a premium for it. So yeah. one of the challenges of anyone running or starting a business is to not be commoditized, to not just right. be 
purely competing on the basis of price. And so what I'm hearing is, number one, the investment in that customization and digitization decades ago mm -hmm. was the jumping off point to just bring a relevant service to market, but then marrying that to this type of security and quality control yep. and, and kind of downstream brand equity to these players gives you the ability to not be a commodity printer. Correct. Yeah. Gotcha. That, that, that's absolutely correct. And we have the people here that, that understand this, the unique needs of our, of our clients. And you know, when the clients are coming to us and they've got a big project and they're waiting until kind of the last minute until they're getting all their data from different, different groups internally and externally and they spring it upon us and they say, okay, we still have a deadline. I know we got pushed back a couple of days because of some, some issues. Can we still make the deadline? You know, we've got the folks, the people, the equipment, the processes to you know, crunch down that time and, and, and get things out yeah. in, a, in a timely manner. So at this scale, at over 100 you know, people on the team, 100, 150, 160 yeah, I think it's people. Yeah, 160 people. What feels like the constraint these days? So, so is the constraint in certain ways throughput and your capacity to just get more of these printed products? Because even as you, as yeah. you get faster, you're still trying yeah. you know, to, to create efficiency there. So um, I would say... Six months ago, the that was there was there were bottlenecks in our in our our production workflow. We've we're in the process of making some very significant investments with uh, some some products from from Rico, for example. They've got two presses that are being installed as we speak. Um, there's some back end finishing pieces that will dramatically you know increase our our, our turnaround in our workflow. So um, we're pretty confident that from a equipment standpoint, we won't have the constraints. Where we've been seeing it, and we think we're going to continue to see the constraints, like everybody, supply chain. Um, paper has gone up 40, 60% wow. in, the past, in the past year, and we look for that to continue. Uh, and labor has been difficult to difficult to get particularly when we're when we're growing as much as we are you know we're trying to get skilled people or even if they're unskilled talented people that are willing to learn a skill and you know with low unemployment rates it's 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 a challenge I want, to so, I want to dig into that a little bit more, sure. but I, I want to actually just go back to the capacity issue yeah. in terms of number of printers and throughput. One of, uh, so we run an agency yeah. and there's this, it's like a, a timeless trope of an agency is basically you're on this perpetual teeter totter where you're like, holy crap, I need to get more clients. Yep. Holy crap, I need to get more team. Holy crap, yeah. I hired these people now, I need to get more clients again. And you just continue yeah, up absolutely. back and forth as you grow. It actually sounds like there's a similar effect there where you know, maybe there's the third triumvirate of people to like operate and, 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 and enable the throughput through their work, but there is a similar degree to which if we go out and sell a bunch more, at some point we literally reach the physical constraint of the yeah. manufacturing facility. Yeah. We have to go buy more equipment, but once we've had that installed and increased our throughput, yep. now we got to go sell to kind of make up the difference. Yeah, it's a vicious cycle, but it's, you know, it's, it's business and yeah. that's, um, you know, that's what's challenging and that's what makes it a great opportunity is to, you know, make sure you find that, find that balance. And uh, we're very fortunate in that 
I, I think we have an exceptional, you know, leadership and management team, and we know as much as one could know, um, like on the sales end, what's what's going to be coming in. How bullish do we feel about making some investments? And um, then on the manufacturing end, and, and again sales, manufacturing, accounting and finance, we're all working very closely with one another and trying to figure out, you know, what is now the right time to invest or do we want to hold off? And so we do have in certain aspects of our business, we have the ability to do some outsourcing with some uh, very trusted and and well-vetted partners. Um, But that's you know, but maybe that's a very small percentage of our of our business that we can that we can do that. But that'll kind of help us get through some tough times. Um, it also provides you know some disaster recovery options for us. Speaking of that management team, we ran into Tom on the way yeah, in, yeah. and one of the things that he commended you on was the amount of trust that you push down into the org. Once yeah. you find someone who's talented, you give them the autonomy to make decisions yep. and enable them. Can you just talk about specifically cultivating that management skill, I guess? Is that something you've always had? Have you had to learn that? Did you learn that from your dad? What, where does that come um, from? Because that is not easy for... Yeah, it's it, that's that's been a... Um, a difficult um, thing to um, assess, I think. Um, for for a, a lot of years, um, I would have with with certain certain people in, in in their roles. I just wasn't quite feeling like we were on the same page, and, yeah. and we were connecting, and and we had. And I do believe I bear a lot of responsibility for this. Um, maybe I wasn't communicating the vision clearly or being very specific as to what my expectations were. And I tried to get better with that. And uh, they're in some of our key roles over the past, say, 15 years, uh, up until, say, maybe five years ago, there was more, more turnover than there, there, than there probably should have been. And I think a lot of it was me learning how to maybe be a better manager. Maybe it was just um, luck in, in, in getting the right people. But eventually, we did start to be able to get the right people on, on, on board. And it was very interesting because uh, when we'd go through that, we'd, we'd hire somebody. We'd have these great expectations. And um, you're just like, ah, it's just not, it's not, I don't think we're, I don't think we're getting it. Uh, and then both parties realize that and you, you, know, you part ways and then you get the next person in. And so we had to, a lot of that was um, kind of, I don't want to say trial and error, but it, it was. And then all of a sudden you'd get a couple, you'd get a, a good person, all of a sudden like, oh, they get it. And not only do they get it, but they're doing a better job than what I was expecting. And they actually know more than I do about this, about, you know, their particular area of expertise. And you go and you question them on some things and you challenge them and you, you find out like, yep, I think they've got it. And then yeah. you can kind of step like away excited. and support. And then we go to the next, uh, you know, critical position and go through that cycle. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, I think we've, I think we've got it. And so 
that was, there was a lot of that. And, and once I saw that I had people on board that knew what the heck they were doing, that were really smart and really dedicated, and they could do their job far better than I could, I said, well, do I want to get in the way and, and trip them up? Or do I want to be step back and be supportive and help facilitate things and get involved with other things that they can't get involved with? Um, and that's what I've been trying to stay focused on. Makes sense. Time. So this is a family business, you're the third generation. Yeah. Can you just talk a little bit about transitioning into the business? Because you hear all sorts of different versions of it. I, you know, I grew up sweeping the floor of the print shop, yeah. and so I, it's just in my blood. But or, or other, in other instances, hey, I never ever wanted to do this, but duty called or, yep. or whatever circumstances led me there. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of a little bit more towards the latter uh, part of that spectrum. Um, I would uh, talk to my dad a lot about business over the years and philosophies. And so he, he taught me a lot and we'd, you know, sit around in the evenings and chat and it was really good. I got a kind of a great, um, education from, from my father as far as, you know, the values and what, what was important in running a business, uh, and not so much you know, the specifics on, you know, how to, how to print, but, but just, you know, general running a business. And so after I graduated from college, um, I worked two years in commercial real estate and was chatting with my dad and he said, Hey, you know, we're looking for somebody to, you know, get into sales. And I was like, okay, this commercial printing was okay, but, uh, it was, it was, a, um, I thought there might've been a better opportunity to go work for, you know, work for the family business. And so I came in and I think at the time, um, I probably had about, you know, two, two and a half million dollars in sales and, you know, maybe 18, 20, you know, 20 employees. And my dad had a right hand, you know, right hand man who ran, ran operations, somebody who I knew kind of growing up, he was uh, six, eight years older than me, Tim Thomas. And um, we ended up working really well together. And, you know, he would continue to run operations. I started selling, and then I got into running the sales. And uh, together, you know, we, we really helped, you know, you know, challenge each other and, and, um, you know, kind of make each other, you know, better and hold each other accountable and, um, we're able to grow the company. And my dad was shortly after I came on board, he saw that we were working well together and he kind of stepped back a little bit from, you know, getting involved with, you know, too many of the details and, you know, let us, let us run the show. And so that happened, you know, that was back in the, mid, you know, mid nineties. Yeah. yeah. And so it's always interesting. The, the dynamic there, I, I, I'm just obsessed with the idea of anyone who's running anything yeah. has some sort of baseline for control. Maybe not like, like a, you know, a psychological need necessarily, yeah. but it's just the norm because you're taking on a ton of responsibility. Sure. And so that, that trade-off is really interesting. Your dad being able to let go of the reins, you, you know, finding a way to both start to grab it, but then also let it go and hand it off yeah, to these yeah. other people that you've had on the team. I feel like that's got to be almost like an internal conversation more so than anything else. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, for, for me, um, you know, it was, um, I knew, I, I felt I knew when I had the right people and I felt like I, I knew when I, they weren't the right fit. And um, I just wanted to make sure that I 
was keeping the right people and keeping them motivated and engaged and 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 again I don't don't didn't want to be an impediment to their to their progress within the organization you know I wanted to be helpful and you know help move them along you know within the within the company so you talked about it being about 18, 20 people when you started, about 160 now. Yeah. That's an 8x in the number of employees. It's not always a perfect barometer for yeah. revenue, but we can, you know, cast us out. I'm not asking you to tell me exactly, but, you know, similar type of growth for the actual top line revenue of the business is yeah. probably within a, a general range there. What do you see being the drivers of that? Is that just back to the high kind of customization, digitization, and the high standards for um, like data accuracy that we articulated at the beginning? Is there another, you know, just building out the sales force? What, what are the drivers of a print business? Because once again, superficially, yeah. outsider's view, people, you know, print is dead, paper is yeah, dead. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a dying industry because of Facebook ads and other sure. stuff like that. Sure, I mean, it, it, without question, it is a declining industry. Uh, we don't think it's dying. I've been hearing it was dying for you know, ever since I got into the business. You'd have you know friends would talk to you. Oh, why would you get in that business? It's dying. I was like, well, you know, thirty some years later, it's 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 doing it's it's doing pretty well, but it's consolidating, and I think we've positioned ourselves where we're adding value, and everything has become so data centric in our in our our world, right? So it's it's no longer about uh, it being a beautiful brochure with uh, different, you know, effects on the cover and textures, and there's there's still there's still some of that, but from our perspective, it's still about the data and in controlling that data and working it and um, you know making sure that the right information gets on the on the paper and into the right hands at the right time. So what's interesting to me when I hear that, I think about, you know, my perspective of being on Facebook and MySpace and all these different places before anyone else. Yeah. And then you almost like see the generation above you come onto those platforms and like learn the lessons that you learned a while ago because you were spending all your time on, on these social media platforms already, but they're tied to data, right? They're tied yes. to either, you know, someone's actually pulling something on you, they're deploying a strategy, they're trying to get you fired up with political memes or something. And not that younger people don't fall for that stuff because they absolutely do. But it's very interesting that there's, what I'm hearing is there's almost this window where uh, a generation that is, you know, throughout their lives maybe used to receiving print items that were much more analog, mm -hmm. much more of that, that past era are now probably not even as cognizant in the same way they first time they stepped on a social media network, not as cognizant of the fact that they are having this much more tailored, much more yeah. personalized experience in the form of brochures, mailers, what have you. Sure, but it's also more relevant to them. So instead of getting a catalog that is, you know, geared oh, towards, um, you know. Well, the old Sears catalog yeah, is a great yeah, example. Yeah, exactly. It was literally right. how many pages right. and you had to like yeah. scroll through it like an encyclopedia. Uh, absolutely, and, it, and it's wasteful as opposed to getting something that's geared towards hiking, you know, and it's, yeah. oh, oh, I like to hike. It's specific to, to me. Or, you know, if you're into gardening, whatever it is, right. you're getting whatever it is you, you want. And, it. and it's not, it's not as much noise in, in the system. That makes a ton of sense. Um, so I, you, you talked a little bit about inflation and supply chain issues. Yeah. And as we were coming in today, I was kind of thinking about what the inputs were. Um, and maybe ignorantly, Paper and ink, I'm sure, have their kind of associated costs yeah. that 
as you already said, are climbing to some degree. But the thing that was really interesting to me was we just walk, once again, we walk through the facility, we see all these printers. These are complex machines um, that, are, that are not cheap. And if one of them breaks, you need the spare part. Yeah. That has to be one of the real risk vectors for Absolutely. this supply chain yeah. crunch that we're experiencing as we you know, understand globalization a little bit better. Um, yeah. Can you just talk to that a little bit, how you're dealing with it, how yeah, you're facing so, it? Uh, as you may have noticed, um, so we have two you know, offset printing presses uh, from competing manufacturers, and they're, they're both top-of-the-line machines. They're both impeccably maintained. Things still go wrong, though. Uh, but we can count, you know, generally speaking, we can count on the suppliers, the equipment suppliers, to get parts and service to us when, when, we, when we break down. Um, I had a couple issues where it would, it, would, it would take longer, you know, several days as opposed to one or two days. Yeah. Um, but nothing, you know, nothing, nothing catastrophic. And then on the digital side of things, similarly, you know, we have, we have one supplier, uh, very well trusted partner on the digital print side of things. Um, they do a lot of work in, uh, in the, you know, highly critical communication space with, um, for credit card companies and everything else. So they're, they're, you know, SLAs that they're used to performing are, are, are very high and they've been able to keep us, you know, keep us in the game. But part of it is having good operators, which we have, who can detect when, you know, when an issue may be coming. Um, most of our equipment is, is monitored, you know, by the manufacturers so that if, if there's a, a warning, we, we get some, you know, some advanced notice of that. Um, Not like me when the light comes on, I might still drive just, for a couple keep, days. Yeah, put, 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 some, put some tape over the dash <laughs> yeah, and just yeah, keep, yeah. Keep, keep on trucking. So, and then we have um, you know, a very good operations group here that does. we're very much into the preventative maintenance on things. So we, you know, we'll stop production and, okay, it's time. We need to take a, you know, half a shift or a shift and we need to grease and lube and check and clean and, and, and make sure everything's up and running. So um, not much downtime due to equipment failures. But those inputs, you know, if paper goes up 40, 60% to some degree, you know, when we're talking about the scale of yeah. a, a massive campaign, that is going to well, have to in some way, shape, or form be passed and, on to and so, customers. So a couple things, you've got uh, paper going up, you've got labor going up, healthcare costs, everything, everything's going up, right? We're not immune from inflation um, and postage. And so when a company comes and they say, we're going to do a campaign and we have, make up a number, a million dollars in the budget, maybe 300,000 of that is, is, is postage. So now there's only you know, 700,000 for us. And of that 700,000, maybe 250,000 is paper. Okay, and then we've got labor and everything else. So, um, you know, but the company still has a million dollars for that campaign. So as the postage goes up, the paper goes up, ink, labor, you know, it's just, it kind of, you know, crunches, crunches the margins. And also, uh, you know, where they may have wanted to do, you know, half a million pieces because we've had, you know, a 10% increase in, in, in all these, these, these costs across the board, they've got to cut their volume by, by, by 10%. Gotcha. So we're seeing that, which is why the data is important because instead of just grabbing a mailing list that just has addresses of everybody on the street corner, they want to know, all right, are you buying, are you a potential buyer of my product 
or are you not? And if you're not, I'm not going to waste my time sending it to you. Right. So that's where it all comes in. One of the most interesting ones of those that I've experienced was the mailers that I started receiving right after we bought our house. Yes. Because clearly there's some data, I mean, there's got to be multiple databases that say, hey, new homeowner, they're probably looking to buy, you know, Home Depot Lowe's or whatever other players out there know that there's all sorts of buying decisions that are coming. And um, they also have my address because we just bought a house. So that was uh, a big one. I'm sure there's many more to come. Yeah, for for sure. And then you, you may have noticed it too, because you mentioned you had a, had a child. Yeah. You should be getting a lot of things for you know, formula and baby food and the whole nine, you know, the whole, I'm whole sure. nine years. So um, on that front, as you decide, so one of the obvious decisions, it sounds like, is when you can be one of, I don't know if it's like a test client or one of the very first cu- customers of the newest printer for, for speed, for accuracy, yeah. for design, you're going to push to be that because that just further differentiates you from the market. Are there other areas that, that you have pushed into and it's either been successful or unsuccessful to become a, a more of a linchpin to those clients? So I saw on the website, there was also like, you know, we'll integrate with the website, we'll do those other things. But I, I guess where I come from is the risk of, I, like I look at the CRM market. Yeah. And the CRM market, you know, everything that started as a CRM now has an email marketing solution. Every email marketing and yep. CRM solution now has a social media ad campaign integration. Yeah. And they're slowly all starting to compete with yep. one another, which is partially consolidation, but it's also, you know, do you have clarity on where you actually are differentiated versus just kind of turning into a lookalike of every other yeah, alternative? So, so one of the areas where we've we've... We've dabbled, and we still do some work, uh, but you know the email marketing. So we have the client data, and uh, in some instances they say, "Look, we want it to only reside with you. We don't want to send it to a different a different entity for 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 distribution." So we'll we'll do that, and, and we're relatively competitive on that, and, and uh, we are. Probably more competitive because, or, or there's some, some more value there because they're not moving their data around to different to, to different places. It stays it stays at one shop. So right. they, they the customer perceives the value in that. If somebody were to come in off the street and say, "We want you to do an email campaign for us, no print, just email." Yeah, we're not going to look competitive. We're not adding any value beyond what you could get from somebody that completely specializes in, in, in that area. So there's reasons why we do it, and there's a value proposition there, but w- that's not something that we're going to break out and start our own um, email marketing, you know, specific email marketing company. Right. So it's, it's more like a, like a thoughtful upsell on top of the core service as opposed to its completely separate yes, product line. Exactly. And Got so it. we've always tried to as we've offered more things over the years, we've always tried to make sure there's a logical tie to what our core offering is, as opposed to making a leap and we're not really uh, adding, adding value to it. Got it. And, and, and again, our value all really just comes around, comes around the data. And so the other question tied to that is, you know, partially just being a longstanding business, but also, you know, having built this infrastructure and, you know, there's only, there's only so many casinos in the region, yeah. right? Like there's yes. only so many uh, pharmaceutical firms at a scale to kind of pay for these type of campaigns or um, associated insurance firms. Not that there isn't markets to expand into. To what degree as a firm do you put emphasis on going and finding new business versus focusing on the retention and the expansion of those existing firms? 
clients? That's a, that's a, uh, that's a good question. And I don't have a great answer on, on that because most of our customers are larger firms. Right. And they're stable and they're growing and they're, they're, they're great. And so when we hitch our wagon to a great company and they say, well, we need you to look at this and take a look at that piece of business. And all of a sudden it goes from, you know, X to 1.5 X or two X. I'm pretty happy. And I think everybody else in our organization is pretty happy. And again, we're trying to do that, not by just printing stuff, but there's a, an added value component. So we do a lot of, uh, you know, we build storefronts for our, our clients and their sales, for, their sales group, whether it's internal or external or their different stakeholders, they log in through their own you know, intranet. It, it's a secure passover to our site. They can see all their products. Everything is there, everything's secure. The inventory control is, 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 is spot on. And so that's where we're seeing a lot of our growth. We'll do a division and then another division said, we want you to do the same thing for us. And so we're adding it, right? But now we're, we're also building our integration with, with, with the client. Yeah. So we love that type of, of, of business. It's, it's easier than starting from scratch and trying to knock on the door and get in and, and go through all the, all the meetings. So those are great. But things change at companies and, and you know, they cycle through uh, suppliers. Um, we've been very fortunate in that we haven't seen a lot of us being cycled out. Yeah. We consider ourselves fortunate, but we know we're not immune to it. But so we still want to be adding new opportunities. And I think with our offering, uh, customers are seeing that or prospects are seeing that. And so we were able to sit down and, and, and we're adding net new customers at a pretty good, pretty consistent basis. And so it sounds like the, those are almost like wholly different functions. Maybe one person sits at the top of the sales and marketing division, over, like just you know looking at all those metrics, but the, you, you got a, a team of salespeople that are out trying to hunt down new business and then you have more like a customer success type of entity that's focused we don't, on that? You know, every, no, no, I mean, really everybody, um, we have, uh, I think 12, uh, 12 sales reps and they've got, you know, they're, they're responsible for, you know, maintaining and growing their existing accounts yeah. and they're responsible for adding, adding new business because as we've discussed, you know, print is declining. So if you did $100,000 with the company one year, maybe there's more and you can add to it. Great. But if you're getting, you know, you're, you're the lion's share of it, it might be going down every year slowly. So you'd need to go out and, and refill that. Got it. Uh, that pipeline. That's a really interesting problem to, to try to navigate. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for, for taking the time to, to share all this with us. Uh, we're aiming towards wrapping up. Going to ask the standard last two questions. Anything else that you were hoping to share today about Heater that we just didn't give you the chance to? Um, you know, I'm, I am super proud of, of what our, our company has achieved. And I feel like I'm very blessed to, you know, I'm, I'm the, the CEO, but I've got so many wonderful people here that really make this happen and make it, make it cook. Um, 
and it's a, I, I think it's a very good place to work. I'm very proud that, that you know, it's a family-owned business and that we don't need to be beholden to you know, outside investors. If we have a bad couple months, we've got the wherewithal to you know, make it through and not do anything drastic. So we're, we're looking and planning you know, years down the, the road, and we're looking and doing that as for, for, for growth. And we think there's tremendous opportunities for this company in this, in this, in this market. So it's a great place to work. And, and we're trying to attract top talent, and we've done an extraordinarily job of, of attracting super talented people you know, over the past you know, 10, 15 years. And every time I look around, I see we get together, you know, we're starting to be able to do this more often now without the COVID restrictions. But when I look around our business and I see you know, somebody that's worked for us for 30 years, and I see their son or daughter that's graduated from college that's now working for us. And I'm like, wow, that is fantastic because yeah. this person was a fantastic employee for all these years and they're going to bring their son or daughter or, or wife. We've got so many different you know, family members that work here. It's very flattering that they would think that they can bring their, their, their family here and that they think that there's a future in this, in this business here. So that's, um, that's pretty exciting. Absolutely. I mean, you, you read Warren Buffett or someone, they'll highlight the importance and the impact of compounding. Yeah. And most people take that to just mean, you know, a bank account or a, a value of a, of a firm. Um, but in the few years that Hannah and I have been in business, the compounding of knowledge as a team member is oh, yeah. entering a second year, entering a third year. Um, we've started to kind of see the, the little breadcrumbs of that. Yeah. But at that scale, I can't even imagine the, the fulfillment that that grants. Oh, it's, 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 tr it's terrific. That's it awesome. really is. Cool. Yeah. Um, so if people want to learn more about Heater, check, uh, check out all the stuff that you guys are up to. Yep. He um, he what digital coordinates can we provide people? Uh, I'm sorry, what did you say? What digital coordinates can we provide people? Oh, uh, our website, heater.com. And nice. we're on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook as well. Awesome. Uh, we're going to link all that in the show notes. People can check it out at goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast for every episode of the show or in the app. We're probably listening to this right now. But before we let you go, Scott, I would like to give you the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge to the audience. Yeah, I, I would say um, that when you have some something that you're, you're wrestling with and uh, some difficulty, and we all come across these decisions, uh, don't, you don't need to rush into making a, making a quick decision. Sometimes uh, a couple hours, a couple days to let things dwell and settle and, and just go through it in your, in your mind is, is um, ultimately, I think you'll come out with, with the best decision at the end. So I would say don't rush through difficult decisions. Just think them through, sleep on them for a couple nights, and um, ultimately you'll come up with the, the, the right, right decision. I love that. Usually it's not so existential as it yeah. has to be decided yeah. on that moment. And you're just going to be a better decision maker yeah. if you take a few exhales and a few sleeps. Exactly. I love that. That's a fantastic challenge. Uh, I'm going to internalize that. I actually, we're, we're navigating something right now that that'll be super relevant for us. So I appreciate okay. you uh, uh, offering that challenge and I appreciate you taking the time to be on the Good. show. Today. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. We just went deep with Scott Heater. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the end of my interview with Scott. If you found it valuable and want to hear another story of transforming a family business, check out our past 
two interviews with J.D. Ewing of COE Distributing. He took a small family furniture business and has built it into a $100 million in annual revenue behemoth. So many good lessons in those conversations. I had so many takeaways. You will as well. Check those out and hit subscribe because we've got another great interview coming next week. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.